passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I don't even want to do the small talk. I think we should just get right into it. This is what the people want. We, always, we always get into it, John. Like we're, we're like, we come in hot, you know? It feels like when we're off mic, the conversation is more stunted than when it's recorded sometimes between you and me, I think. And with that, welcome everybody <laughs> to a special live in-studio interview. John Pollock joined by uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's own, based on the tracksuit he wore in here. Damien Abraham is back. Yes, I wore it. Last time I wore the red one, so I figured this time I had to wear the black one. These we, are, are, we are so excited to have you. I decorated for you. Not everyone can see this. This is only audio, but busting out the Damien Abraham pink eyes bobblehead a very limited edition that very limited edition. you were so kind to give me as a gift a number of years ago and and then i saw this on a storefront on queen street west yep. like th there's times w like this is the city where like i consider you damien one of my good close personal friends and then i will go down and see your bobblehead in the front <laughs> window i will go to sneaky d's where there's uh nachos named after you not anymore they took them off the menu those bastards i know I'm like, what gives? Like, you, you, you bring a lot of star power to this room, Dave. Oh, well, I appreciate that, John. I like, I really do feel though that without you, uh, none of it's possible, right? Well, no, certainly uh, the music side of my <laughs> life would be very much the same, but the side of my life, the side that I'm wearing very much on my chest, quite literally right now, the love of pro wrestling. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it would have gotten in in the same way. Like all my friends I've met. Have been I've been first introduced to them through hearing them on your previous podcast and but through you you know we are allowed to say I know I know but I like I, you know. so many people like dance around it like it's like this uh, this uh, <laughs> this history that will not be spoken of because well, it's, like, it's just like you dude why, I, I don't give a shit why give oxygen to the former branding when the new band the new branding is so successful so post wrestling oh, is you know but like you know being on that show like hearing on that show like that's where I first heard Colt Cabana like that's where I first heard um, that he had a podcast coming out when you did an interview with him before his podcast dropped. And then I first heard uh, uh, Court talk about MLW, like this weird podcast that he was going to be doing about his like defunct thing, you know? And I heard and, about, and then you ascended to become a, a host on there. And then I came, well, I was on there a few times. I would say, yeah, I was a co-host for the tail end of actually MVP's run. You're right. So yes. I was a host yes. on there. That's true. So, but like, you know, a lot of this stuff was through you. So I, I once again feel that... Uh, you know, as 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 Tur turned out a wrestling podcast co-host. Yeah, exactly. Damian Abraham. It's how how I got into this game was through you. I learned it from you. 
Well, I we can go in so many different directions. We could chat about uh, my favorite group, Submission Hold. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about... <laughs> I just listened to your your most recent. You listened show. to Jake from Health's episode. Yes, I listened to Jake Dusick. Dusick, I pronounced it Dusick. Dusick, I, I I defer to you. Okay, I, I'm terrible with that. Like now, I I was recording that intro. I decided I'm now going to ask my guest, like, just for the level. Can you say your name, your full name, your last name, please? And Did, do you it. ever have interviews where, like, to me, I'm always very paranoid about ever getting the pronunciation wrong because I know. So. L- listen, like the. I don't feel I have a big ego, but if I'm interviewed by someone and they mispronounce my name, I feel that's like it's an awful start. That you like, if I were to, hey, we're here with uh, uh, Danny Abraham. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could understand, like okay, it's a simple slip, but it's like what an awful way to start. So I will, if I have somebody that has a difficult name, like I will search out YouTube videos, like find out the exact pronunciation because I'm always a stickler for that stuff. I do that now. Yeah, but there. But I mean, you probably interview a lot of people where it's like, man, where 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 do you defer to? The worst, the worst experience of my fucking life professionally. I'm, I'm, you know, you guys don't swear very often, so I, I feel weird swearing on here sometimes. We we swear sometimes. Once in a while, so I feel feel also weird because there's little ears upstairs that you got to meet Max for the first time. I got to meet Max after all these times. You've always come over during his nap time today. Uh, we coordinated. I was it, so you, so you got to see him. He was he was just awestruck. Oh, I was like I I was I was awestruck because I, you know I've heard so much about Max. I've been here since you know not literally here when Max was in, in inceptioned, but I've been here since Max was first talked about, yeah. and then to meet the person. Yeah, you know it was, he, he was, was very curious when the Vice series is going to be dropping. He's, he's always <laughs> so asking me about I. it. I'm, like, so I am I, John? Every day I want us to work. I've got to keep it up. I've got to continually uh, bring it up to to keep everyone's uh, demands out there. I know, Damian. I'm I'm fighting the cause no, for you. I, I will I will get to that in a second. But my worst experience of that was on Q, which is professionally was the worst experience I've ever had. It was like super hard doing Q is like the hardest job I've ever done. Like high school times infinity. It was super hard. Uh, and then uh, the last day they gave me a thanks list just before I go on air, and so I would like try and pronounce stuff. Like I was working, struggling with these scripts. And there's like 25 names of people on the crew I have to thank. And it's like, they're like, okay, and then thank all these people. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people's names. So I went out there, and I'm sure I brutalized pronunciations. Well, I know I did, because I got back to the office, and people were like, you mispronounced my name. One of my near near biggest embarrassing moments was I was at a – I was at a media day at a a gym uh, prior to UFC 1 – 40. It was when John Jones was fighting uh, Lyoto Machida. And I'm at this gym and I spot someone that I am under the assumption is this fight manager. And I go up to him and I said, Hey, do you possibly have a couple minutes just to chat on, on camera for uh, just ahead of the fight Saturday? And he's like, Yeah, sure, let's go. And I'm going over and I'm getting ready for the interview. And it's like this moment that I'm realizing this is not who I think it is. This is not <laughs> this fight manager at all. And not only is this realization coming to me, but I do not know who this person is that I have just brought over. And it, I was really proud of my save because I go, um, before you uh, start, can you just uh, give your first and last name into the camera so we have it properly written when we put up the uh, put up the text? And he said – and 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 uh what your outlet is because i know we're at a media day yeah, so yeah. he's and he says his name and his media outlet 
and I just did a 10 minute interview talking about the event and just totally flipped it on the fly. But I was like, my God, if I had started this interview and had not realized this was not who I thought it was. And (laughs) I had, uh, we, we played a show one time in, in Halifax for Halifax, Halifax pop explosion. And this guy came up to us after the show, we're loading out and he's livid. He's so angry. This is like super years and years ago. And he's like, I can't believe you guys sound like that live. And we're like, what, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you know, you're just terrible. You're terrible compared to your records. Like, it's wow. Just, and we're like, well, you know, we sound a little bit different. This is a fan or an industry person. Well, who knows? Like this okay. guy, just like a normal person, you know, he's just like livid. You know, he's like, you know, I spent good money coming to see you guys. I bought all your albums. And it's just like, this is what you sound like. Damn. And he's like, and we're just like, man, I'm sorry. He's like, well, no, I just think it's like, you should go by a different name. Cause this is not what Holy Fuck sounds like on record. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> like, oh, that's awesome. And then we met the Holy Fuck people and we're now friends with them too. Uh, years later, we're like, oh, this tells us. Way's seen them. Oh, they're great. They're like a great band. I know the name. Yeah, awesome, awesome band. And uh, years later, we're hanging out with them. We're telling this story. And they're like, well, it's funny because like one time we were in Scotland and this BBC journalist shows up and he sits us down at the interview and he's like, gentlemen, I'm very sorry, but I came here and researched interviewing this band and held up a picture of you guys. What's been the most like negative in-person experience kind of interaction you've had like it's just it, it's amazing that we're we're at a time where i mean online it's just you know it oh, comes with the territory oh, yeah, of course definitely but in person like it's always a completely a different story i've had the odd time where uh, you know someone's just you know in a, a polite way be like oh, i'm not I'm not as big a fan of you or whatever like, oh definitely that, that that's yeah. fine it's like yeah, if you're polite about it like I'm, I'm cool with that it's like i'm not expecting to be batting a thousand with people that are aware of what I do. Oh yeah, like, I've been I've been beat up though on stage. So, oh dear, you know that was my I, worst I interaction. I haven't hit that, so that's good. <laughs> I got a uh, we played a show in Liverpool and I got uh, attacked um, in in the crowd while we were playing, trying to stop these dudes from beating up a couple. And uh, oh, but that that's not really an indictment of your work. That's more you were placed into the middle of a situation. I guess the worst critical reaction I've ever received, other than you know online in person, was we played with the Arcade Fire. We're opening for them on Munich, and we had done this tour with them where every show, the reaction we received from the crowd got progressively worse to the last show, which was in Munich. Like it started in Barcelona, and the crowd was actually like really into it. It was surprising for us. It was great. And then by Munich, it was this woman in the front row just screaming in German with her hands on her ears every time we'd stop. And uh, after the show, we went up to, uh, uh, we went up to the, uh, we went up to some friends and we're like, you know, uh, what, you know, how's the show? And they're like, do you want to know what that woman was screaming? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, God, make them stop. Please make them stop. Oh my gosh. Please, 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 please make them stop. <laughs> Uh, there is a, yeah, there's like another time we start, we played a show opening for rise against and we had to play for an hour for some reason. Are you a fan of rise against? Uh, well, Zach Blair. I like rise against a lot, so I won't be, uh, I, I, I dare I say you and I have for a man who's called me out openly for not listening to the, some episodes of the podcast on air. I am now offended that you have not listened to Zach Blair from Rise Against and MVP episode 101 of Turned Out of Punk, the greatest story ever told, where Zach Blair and MVP, it turns out, 
grew up together when they were 14 and changed each other's lives forever and then fell out of touch, reconnected only <laughs> to save the misfits from being murdered by the macho man Randy Savage in the 90s. You've told me this story. Then they just fell out of touch again and then they reconnected. I was not me. aware of the, the childhood connection that they had, but I was aware of the whole uh, Randy Savage story. Well, that is that Zach Blair from me. Rise Against. So, yes, I am a fan of Rise Against and I'm definitely I, a fan I, of I one can't Zach believe, Blair. Like, like, you know me and I, I was captivated by your interview with Jake and I have no connection <laughs> to this world. I don't have anything. I know. But you know what I really appreciate about your your podcast and just your general interest of things is that you will take a figure or a movement and you, you your your podcasts are essentially just going back and the path of which we got here and the intersections mm-hmm. along the way and you you kind of made that comparison in that interview about like your show it's like all these puzzle pieces that you've suddenly realized wow these two go together uh, Zach from Rise Against and MVP somehow uh, there's an intersection here. Through Punk John, through Punk, MVP actually was going to beat up Zach Blair and roll him and his friends in the park when he first encountered them when they were teenagers. And then as he got close to them, saw that they were wearing punk shirts and was like, oh, I just got into this punk music. Are you guys into punk? And they're like, yeah, we are. Let's be friends. And it threw MVP off and he became their friend. So it's all through punk. It's like this weird thing where everyone connects. Even you and me ultimately connect through punk. Because I was reconnected to wrestling in a big way. Like, I was also reconnected through watching FMW and, like, all that stuff on DVD and Dan and stuff. But it was definitely through the CM Punk stuff. Like, watching CM Punk, you know, as this punk rock straight-edge wrestler that was on the Warp Tour, that was, like, re- connected to wrestling, then ascend through the ranks in the WWE over the years. Like, that really got me reinvested. So that ultimately, through his pipe bomb, as we've talked about last time I was with you connects you and me so even you and i are connected through punk rock john even you and me are connected through i mean that that day when you when you came up with us i look at it reversed that i don't think i would have that in me to someone that i listen to that i mean just to throw it in a if if michael barbaro and that, that is the differences <laughs> between us was walking down the streets of toronto and somehow that day was not producing a podcast in new york i listen to this guy every single morning he is my as as much of my morning routine as a coffee is, I don't know if I could go up to this guy and just randomly talk to him. Uh, so I'm very grateful that you did do that. What do you think? I was like too starstruck to approach you? No, I'm <laughs> saying no. I'm stating that I don't. I, I just don't have it in me to approach people that well, I've never guys, talked to before. I, I think if also I remember correctly, you guys were doing streeters, right? We were doing streeters. So that that was also my reason. I I've been hoping to run into you because I knew Dan. Um, through years and years ago doing CIUT stuff, and I would run it. I could see Dan. And Did you guys miss each other at CIUT, or was there any overlap? We met each other Because he was times. doing that, like, late 90s. Yeah, late 90s, but I was th- that's when I was there. When okay. We actually, like, there was a night where some a friend of mine who uh, in, in, we went to a Gob concert. My brother and I interviewed Gob for our fake fanzine that never came out backstage, and then Went home and then oh and then I went with my friend to fill in for Dan on his radio show. Dan was away that day and he had gotten this guy. No way. Yeah, he gotten this guy Ed Fox to fill in for him, and so I went with Ed to the radio show and we went in there and then Gob called up and he ended up getting. Did you say I hear you calling? <laughs> to Gob, it was pretty. I hear you calling, John. <laughs> First album era, John. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but he. Uh, 
he uh, he 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 they end up getting kicked off the air. He ended up getting kicked oh. at Fox. Wow, oh, there's God. a there's a pretty high threshold I would think to get kicked off the air at CIU. Not at that point. It was really tight. It was really tight. Like when, when any I swearing, like Mopa Dean, who was the, the station manager, was he the station manager when you were? No, when I was there, it was um, this guy by the name of Brian Burchill. And I mainly worked in the music department with a guy by the name of Ron Bird. Did you okay. know him? And I don't he, know. he, he would he oversaw the entire music department, and he put out these charts every week. In all, I remember the charts. And he just spent all this time. Like I got to see like the spreadsheets and the time he put into these charts, and like he was just like a really interesting guy. And I kind of just gravitated towards working with him. And he said a line that has always stuck with me. There was. Like, always you had musicians coming in, you had t- hosts coming in, and always just, you know, making small talk and stuff. And one day, I'm sitting there. I'm just pretty much like his, you know, whatever he has to do. I'm just working in the corner on whatever. And the guy's talking about uh, some new book that's come out. And the guy who's talking to Ron says, just t- there's just... Uh, just too many songs out there's too too many albums that's what he was saying it's like anyone can get an album and ron comes back and says that's like saying there's too many books in the world did you say that i'm like "Ah, fucking touche like (laughs) that's uh like what a what a problem to have like too much art out there too much information out there there's good and there's bad but it kind of separates itself from each other and that guy who's complaining would be super bummed now (laughs) he would be so so distraught was it I, i was um what was I listening to recently? The uh, the Business Wars podcast, and they they were doing the one on uh, kind of uh, Biggie and Tupac, mm-hmm. and just talking about just what a transformative shift there has been to now the the streaming model, and like what artists are basically getting like a fraction of a penny mm-hmm. off of each stream, and just how much like it's such a concentrated amount that if you are at the top end, it's fantastic, but it's like that lower whatever you want to say like. 85% that identify themselves as like full-time artists that it's such a struggle to get into that upper 15%. And there's also now, you know, the, the impetus is to put out as much music as possible to constantly putting it. Yeah. That was the other part was that shorter songs because mm-hmm. you want to get people pretty much locked onto the song as soon as possible, longer album lists and just how much like an algorithm has changed the music industry in essence. Algorithm has changed our lives. You know, like it's un- it's crazy to think that I think and I think pro wrestling is also one of the last vestiges that's like untouched by like corporatization of the world we live in. You know, you, you have to funny. watch the the business partners summit from last year where they are they are openly talking about how they are now able to get user data and can customize so much to you by knowing what ticket you have bought, what who your favorite wrestler is and like talking about this like at a time when like you know data pr- like privacy is being very much debated with Facebook and all of these groups and the WWE is kind of trumpeting the fact look at how much data we have on all of our users and there isn't that pushback but i'm curious now that this current generation if it's going to make stuff convenient for me take all my information that seems to be what a lot of people prefer rather than trying to hold on to any semblance of privacy Oh yeah, no, and, and uh, like it's funny. I said like I was completely not talking about WWE when I said that. I meant like more like everyone else, everyone else. You know, like it's just I think that is like still where you have people just kind of like figuring stuff out. Like if, there's a still a community. It feels like where everything else is now more dictated by algorithms. And like yeah, I was thinking about the other day. I gave Apple willingly my my face, my fingerprint, 
and oh, they have my passwords. Like they have they have everything about me. Like they have they they have the the ability now. And I just handed that over to them. Like you know we're we're upset when a corporation takes that from us, and here we give it over. You know, here we give Facebook every piece of information we have about ourselves. Well, that's the argument now. The philosophical one is that you are giving this up in turn for a free service that they're obviously providing Mm -hmm. entertainment for you, convenience for you, that that's the pushback. Like what, what is more valuable? This company that is able to monetize all of this information about yourself. um, You know, we're very much in, I I recently uh, downloaded my entire like Facebook contents because I'm, I, I would say if I wasn't doing this show, like just to pump out our stuff, I think I'd be off Facebook yeah. at this point. Oh, yeah, like no. it's just to me, I I'm very much of the side of wanting to pull back from all of this. And it's 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 wild because they've now monetized not even Discord, just discontent. You know, and so every time you get into an argument, you know, and you're going to check on that thing more when you get into an argument, right? You're going to be like, oh fuck, what did that person say now? Did you hear that? <laughs> that that's the last wrestling fan that just checked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're going to talk about booking. <laughs> Dude, I think it all gets back to wrestling because I think wrestling is, is you know, wrestling is the most honest and, and real reflection of society. Like you can study wrestling and study society through wrestling, I think, in a very direct, profound way. But um, but I think like right, you know, like right now, every time you click on, like even when you're in an argument about wrestling and you get, you, get, you know, when when Priscilla Kelly – you know, God forbid, did that like spot that broke the internet because people couldn't deal with the fact that she had Mr. Sokka with better special effects. Yeah, that weekend where the industry was dead. Yeah, exactly. But people freaked out, right? And like, but every time you logged on, that's a little bit of money for these companies. That's well, a little I bit of money for the telecommunications so, companies. So many people were so up in arms about the content, and I. I didn't care at all about like the specifics of what it was done, but what I was so fascinated by, and I talked about it with Wade. I was really glad Wade just brought it up, mm-hmm. and I was glad because we never really had an opportunity to talk about it until that point. Was like that is what so many of these wrestlers and these performers they are trying to be able to grab their portion of this to get into that zeitgeist yeah. and to be to have their spot that take that is sent everywhere and gets that controversy. And there's such a formula to it now that you get this clip that was shot in a bar and gets online. And then you have all these names that are commenting on, which is actually just great fuel for this clip to last more than just several hours. It turns into several days. And with that, well, suddenly Priscilla Kelly is somebody, if I'm a guy running a 500 seater, I want to have this person on my show. That's this is the, the hot topic now in professional wrestling. And it's interesting to watch these wrestlers that do not have big contracts and are trying to get that name in a crowded field, crowded marketplace to be able to separate themselves from the pact. And shock is one portion of it, but it's, it's also attaching itself to something larger. That's going to kind of fuel a debate and a conversation. I think with pro and con attached to it, that ultimately it's like, that's what these performers are craving at the moment. Yeah, like I think there's, you know, and I know firsthand and you know firsthand that a lot of these people that do these podcasts uh, that, you know, they're 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 working their outrage, you know, like they're when they get really upset about something like this, like the Priscilla Kelly thing, like a lot of that is them playing a character too because they know that feeds into their audience, that knows that gets them more retweets and more clicks. So, you know, it's like this little bit of an ecosystem. I think Priscilla Kelly is though legitimately one of the most talented wrestlers 
out there right now and she is a star and like i think that was like a super thing about that it was like a really safe thing you know like no one got hurt it was very very safe i know both parties involved not to undersell tuna tuna is my homie as well tuna is like punk to the core and like i love her as well and like i think both these women are super talented yeah i was just watching the evolve card the other night from this past weekend with uh priscilla kelly and she was in the opener with brandy lauren and then it it, uh kind of bleeds into darby allen and anthony henry uh both who i think are really like darby allen everyone's aware of but i was really impressed with anthony henry too Mm -hmm. they they had a short match but nonetheless Mm -hmm. it was uh good stuff i think i think darby allen's like one of my favorite wrestlers um Right now, and I think you know all these people. Joy Janela, like there's this whole wave of people that even a couple of years ago, do you remember when Joy Janela jumped off the roof with Zandig? Yeah, I mean that, that, that was really the, the eye-opening moment to who Joey Janela was. Yeah, and, and it, look at, look what he's springboarded that from. I mean, that's the thing that you can create that spot, but it will be forgotten in time when the next thing happens. The key is you've got this this window is now slightly open, yeah. so you've got to attack it and. And grow. And I mean, Joey Janela to me is kind of the, the prototype of that kind of that idea, that example. There's so many like infamous break the internet moments in pro wrestling that he was there for. Like uh, the, the uh, Leo Rush through the table right. off the ladder, you know, like the Zandig off the roof thing. Like uh, there's just so many amazing things that he's been involved in. But he's like this guy that, you know, well, well, 10 years ga- ago. Game Changers kind of catered. Like, oh, yeah. I, I think Game Changer has done. So much interesting stuff in the last two oh. years to try and okay. Here is this gigantic ecosystem that is independent wrestling. We're not trying to take over everything, but we are going to get our portion that no one can outdo us doing this. And it's I, I think now you're going to see a lot of copycats from that, but they have been able to. It's a combination of not just all the big stars. A lot of it are guys that you're hearing about for the first times mixed with. Like 90s nostalgia, mm-hmm. which we've seen 80s nostalgia. Now mm-hmm. it's 90s nostalgia and mixing it in with like state of the art videos and production. And man, that was just such a party last year going to spring break that 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 to me, you know, the party crowd is no longer the raw the night after mania. It's it's spring break like that is the show you want to be part of that crowd. And I think that's such an, a, a great kind of promotion is presenting a crowd that you want to be in that crowd for. There was like this interesting moment at South by Southwest, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. No, less than that. But like, um, you know, a few years ago where the parties became cooler than the South by Southwest events. So oh, it, interesting. It, it became like you didn't have to buy a badge anymore to go to South by Southwest. You wanted to go down there and just go to all these free parties where you just had to send your email address. And it was at this moment where, you know, and this hasn't happened in wrestling, which I think is probably going to be the next thing that's going to happen. But it happened at this moment where all these companies were doing these activations. So you had Red Bull coming down and being like, okay, well, here's $100,000. Throw an event for us. Or you had like in-case knapsacks being like, hey, we're going to launch our company. Uh, here's, you know, X number of thousands of dollars. Let's throw like an all-day, all-weekend party at a park kind of off-site where people can just kind of come to this day party because all the South by Southwest stuff happens at night anyway. Can, can you talk a bit about the the idea that was out there last year for WrestleMania for that you were going to be involved or can you not talk about it? I can it? talk about it. Because that's kind of what you're talking about. Like like Vice yeah. wanted to kind of create this event. That no, would no, be, no. It was me who wanted to create it. Well, you were going to be pretty much the, 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 the one spearheading the, everything. Was the, it was my idea. But again, it's it's like taking you, – you've got this gigantic-sized event yeah. that – has now splintered off into like this entire, like, you know, five day event that 
the idea of a vice jumping on board and other corporate outlets that are going to be attaching themselves to, hey, we'll be the money people and putting up like, you know, who's to say spring break is not sponsored by a giant thing where you guys are going to run from midnight till 7 a.m. And it's going to be this incredible overnight event that's going to be part wrestling show, part rave, part uh, rave is a very dated term, but nonetheless, party. You, you, yeah, yeah, like that, like turning it into that and getting more corporate dollars to the non WWE WrestleMania week events. And I think credit where credit's due before spring break, there was MLW. You know, and it was MLW's like party. Wally Mania. Mania was something that was totally yeah. different. Like no yeah. one else was doing Wally Mania, and that was something that WrestleMania week. You're looking at a list of like I think in in Dallas 2016, it was like close to like a hundred shows maybe mm-hmm. that, that you could see, mm-hmm. and there was nothing like Wally Mania. And yep. when you're going in, you're like, okay, I don't want to go to wrestling every single moment of that week. And Wally Mania, it's it was something totally different. If you could go back and listen to the archives of the times I've been on this podcast, like we've talked about this so many times, like, why isn't wrestling cool? You know, like, wrestling's cool. You know, wrestling's amazing. But, like, why doesn't, like, WWE, the main entity, realize that wrestling's cool? And, like, why don't they get it? And why don't they make it so they're cool? Like, why don't they lean into cool stuff, you know? And they kind of do it now with NXT. But this is before NXT was, was a brand when I started coming on this podcast. And it's now – but, like, MLW with Wale Mania – and GCW now and all these other events that have, have kind of sprung up Kaiju big battle happening late at night, you know, like all this kind of dream stuff, dream of matches stuff like that's that made wrestling cool. You know, like that's where wrestling was like, you know, it doesn't matter that WWE is doing this or that and, and they're making these mistakes because there's this whole other world of wrestling that that's like a you you know you can create your own world out there. It's like Minecraft. You can build whatever you want. Like you can build your own. You want a promotion that's based entirely around you know this weird comic book premise that you have in your mind. You do that, Chikara. Boom. Like you you can just build your own. And it's like I think that's the thing. Once fans realize that now, and more and more realizing that, like you know, it makes wrestling cool. The the first time that it really kind of that seed was planted. It, I want to guess it was maybe around 2008. And I was interviewing Brian Danielson when he was still with the Ring of Honor. And he was explaining to me that for the longest time, pro wrestling is presented inside of this box. And you can move around in the box. You can do different things in the box. But you're in a box. Mm-hmm. And his goal at that time in his career, and remember, this is a year, year and a half before he signs with WWE. He wanted to get outside of that box and explore what's outside of the box that can still encompass professional wrestling. And I didn't even think about it till now of how similar that is to what you hear Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks talk about of pro wrestling being whatever they want it to be Mm -hmm. and exploring all these other things. I'm very curious with those guys that as much criticism that they've received, how much that's kind of put a chip on their shoulder to be able to double down on their own beliefs and go out and have that conviction to show people our vision of pro wrestling can work too and not be kind of constrained by the ideas that when we're at a, at a certain level in our, our careers, looking back at this time is how wrestling is done. No, like 30 years from now, pro wrestling may be very, very different from your vision today. There's like an alternate reality where uh, Brian Danielson Brian, you know, leaves the WWE when he gets suspended uh, re hooks up with uh, Gabe. He was going to be the guy Evolve was built around. And it was going to be Paul Heyman, you know? And it was going to be that company, I think, would have been very amazing to watch. If that had happened, that would have been like just at the the kind of like 
ignition point of the era in wrestling we're at now. Right, right. The, the Evolve idea was before he first signed with yeah. WWE. Yeah. Then he gets, I guess, second after he had the first Memphis stint. But then, yeah, he gets fired. And that's when the whole T, that, that was when Heyman was deep in the talks with, with TNA to use, yeah, Danielson. And fucked and up Gabe. was going to be the soundtrack. Oh, my goodness. You were finally going to get. That was going to be, that was my first kick at wrestling TV stardom. <laughs> So that, I mean, that's, that get, was actually, that's getting that was actually pretty far if they're yeah. getting to the point of reaching yeah. out to you. It was it was like I was already in, uh, I was already talking to, to. So you had the relationship in Ring of Honor. Yeah. So that already. No, no, existed. I didn't. I know it was through. It was all through Brian Danielson. It was all through this guy, this kid in England that I met, and it was like I was getting into wrestling. I have this friend Tim Wesson. Shout out to Tim Wesson. Got his black belt in jujitsu not too long ago. So shout out, congratulations to him on that. Um, but he was super into pro wrestling. He was super into all the Japanese stuff, and he bought DVDs. Um, he was an old school live audio wrestling fan as well. And he would like, he started like hipping me to stuff and like, we would go to shows and we would kind of go and see all these people that were coming to town at the time. And it was, uh, kind of through him that I got into this stuff. And I met a kid at one of our, I started talking about an in interviews and this kid came up to me at a show in England and he's like, Oh, you're into wrestling. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm like into this world of sports stuff. I'm kind of getting, trying to see this stuff now. And he's started shooting, shooting the shit about that. And then like a month later, uh, he hit me up. He's like, yo, I met uh, this wrestler, uh, uh, Brian Danielson. Do you know him? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. American Dragon. He's like, yeah, he wants to get in touch with you. Can I can I give him your email address? And I'm like, sure. No. And so he wrote me. And That's an invasion like, of my privacy. And he's like, I want you to write a song for us. And I was like, I would love to. And so for, for me. And so Fucked Up was going to do it. And then he's like, actually, Ring of Honor wants to keep Final Countdown. Right now, it's pretty pretty over with the crowd and stuff. And but like, this coincided with HDNet, right? Where they... But the, yeah, this is just before the HDNet. Okay. Stuff. And then he hit me up a few months later. Oh, no, but I think in between that even, then Gabe hit me up and he got my email through him and he's like, hey, I'm a fan of your record. I want to know if you want to do... I'm doing this thing. I'm going to do this company now. And uh, we want we want you to be involved. So this must have been before... This must have been the Evolve thing. Yeah, because Evolve... Evolve yeah. is like... Um, August, September 09? Yeah. But no, but maybe it was then he hit me up. Maybe it was in between the two that Gabe hit me up. But I can't remember what happened first. But anyway, the HGNet thing that did happen where he's like, I'm going on HGNet. They can't use Final Countdown. Do you guys have a song that I can have? And I didn't even ask the band. <laughs> guys? <laughs> he's like, Ring of Honor is going to send you some paperwork. You got to sign it. I'm like, okay. Well, I, I would say of... I guess that that's pre-Sinclair too. So, I mean, the yeah. contract I imagine would be... A one pager. It's tops. a one pager. Oh. It's a definitely a one pager and very. It's kind of cool. It's like my favorite, one of my favorite wrestling artifacts that I've acquired. You know, I've acquired some cool ones since then, but that one just is, has a special place in my place in my heart forever. But uh, then he hit me up um, to do this thing, and they were like, "We want to do this promotion. We want you know, we want have cool vibe for it, have cool music for it." So you'd be doing themes for multiple guys. I guess that was the plan. Like it was really very, and then it just went quiet. And I thought it was on my fault, you know. And I remember re meeting Gabe, and I went back through the email chain, like, "Did I fuck him over and just stop writing back with this promotion?" And then I went back and saw, like, no, I guess. It just didn't happen hmm. at that point. But that would have been an amazing thing to see unfold. Like, because it would have been a, a cool promotion. Like, obviously, I don't think we would have been doing the music for everything. But you could have had cool music in there in addition to us. And you would have had potentially Brock Lesnar showing up there, you know? Like, there's a chance that he could have gone there with Paul Heyman before he went back to the WWE, right? That works out timeline-wise, does it? Uh, yeah. Well, Brock, this is right in the middle of UFC. Mm-hmm. 
So then Brock finishes up UFC, and then Paul Heyman's got this amazing new company with a sports-like presentation with Gabe Sapolsky running a lot of the talent development stuff. I don't know. I think that would have been like a really cool thing to see happen in this alternate reality. Uh, I wanted to ask you about when you got to go to Japan doing the, the Vice series, how much of a... Um impacted that kind of that trip specifically to japan because you got to go to so many places but just starting in japan about you know it's one thing to follow wrestling there and read about it but to actually be kind of embedded in the culture and around these guys with the kind of access that you did with the kota bushis and they're at ddt and just seeing it all up close and just the audiences going to these shows i mean you you had to have left a trip like that with kind of a different view of this industry, how it's presented in a place like Japan. I, I have three kids, so that's like the best experience of my life was being there for all three of their births. You know, I'm watching that happen, and you know, I've got like a lot of family stuff. Outside of that, you know, I've been lucky and done a lot of stuff with the band, things like that. That was the best experience of my life, being in Japan for those three weeks and then going back for another week. I'd been there with the band multiple times. You know, I even got to see some wrestling once mm-hmm. again because of this podcast. <laughs> Met my friend Chris. Shout out to Chris. Charlton doing doing amazing things in New Japan now. But once again, a guy who started out just being a correspondent here. You know? Yeah, like, we, we, we start him out here. Well, I, I'm just go saying. Out into the big bad world of professional wrestling. I'm just saying, like, I think this podcast, you know, and, and you and Way specifically, and, and you know, like, every, you know, uh, Agnew and, and Lebransky as well, but like, this thing that you guys did and just so many people that came out of this thing, it's amazing. It's, how- it's cool to look at all the people that oh. have, you know, been, you know, contributed and, and worked here over the, over the years. Cause Absolutely. I consider all of it like the, the same going back yeah. year, years and years, but I'm actually going to see Chris in a few weeks. He's going to be at our show in New York. Oh, that's awesome. He's, he's coming over for that new Japan show at Madison square garden with ring of honor. Well, yeah. So I got, I got to go to a, a tag league final with him um, at Corrigan hall years ago um, before going to Japan. But Getting to be there for this extended period of time, getting to just live out like all these fantasies. We show up for the first day and we go to a DDT beer hall show. Like we get off the plane and they're like, there's a beer hall show tonight. Uh, and we didn't go to that one. And then so the next day we went though to the DDT bar that night and watched the beer hall show on TV. Like I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm in pile drive. <laughs> just like <laughs> hanging out here. There's like, oh my God, like I recognize these people from tapes and they're like just at the bar, you know, it's just so cool. Uh, and then we went to the show the next day and DDT, I'm so excited for you to go, John. Like I know Way's been now a couple times, so it's one thing, but like I think once you go there, because there's nowhere on earth, Mexico you know, Mexico, there's definitely a reverence for wrestling, but it's different. Like yep. here, there's almost like just like a complete immersive culture. You know, Japan just caters to every subculture so perfectly, you know, and wrestling is definitely no exception, obviously, with the great history of wrestling there. Yeah. I've said, like, I'm more excited to go to the small shows than yeah. to the Tokyo Dome. Like, I want to go to the Tokyo Dome to have gone there and see a show in that kind of setting. But, like, I, I feel like it's going to be cool to go to the tokyo dome but i don't know watching a show in a giant dome is not as appealing to me as going to uh some of these smaller places and getting to watch like a stardom card or, or oh, yeah. whatever it is that we i mean we're probably gonna be watching a bunch of stuff totocom will like going to that store just like walking through the aisles there and just being like i could spend i could spend like six hours just going through magazines here just going through just old issues of 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 Japanese weekly wrestling magazines going back forever or old programs. I got the first FMW program 
for like no money. I've been to your place. You've got quite the collection growing. But it's just like all this stuff was just, you know, most of that, like most of the Japanese stuff was acquired on this one trip just because it's just everywhere you go. And on that, so on that first trip, we went, you know, I, I coincided that I was there for the G1 final. So I got to go to the second last night at Sumo Hall and it was just, yeah, every, every, every fa- possible fantasy was like lived out on that trip. I really think that that, you know, ruined, it's ruined my professional life because there's never going to be a moment, like another experience like that. And also Japanese punk music and Japanese hardcore, the type that I like specifically, which is Burning Spirits Hardcore, which is named after an Antonio Inoki quote about Bruiser Brody. Oh, no, it's Bruiser Brody quote about Antonio mm-hmm. Inoki, about seeing the burning spirit in his eyes, right? Like it goes back the wrestling importance in that genre since its inception. But like, I got to see all these bands from the genre that I'd never gotten to see live, you know? And it was just every day eating amazing food, getting to see all this great wrestling. The access was great. It's, it's, it is restrictive though. You know, it wasn't like, you know, going to the most access you kind of get given, I think is probably never, you know, wrestling's always like a pretty close place. I find backstage. How, how many people are you with on that trip? Uh, coming over from the, from the can- uh, Canada US. We had a crew of four. Okay, so it's, it's a pretty, pretty tight-knit group. It's not like... Pretty a- tight-knit group. And then we had a translator, too. That's um, probably very helpful. Very helpful. You couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, there's no way. And, like, and I think even from the language barrier side of it, like, even if you could figure a way around it, it's just more the cultural kind of differences. You know, I made the mistake of doing a couple of things which you're just like they're like no you can't do this you know and we're, like, we're just going to try and book wh park for a week yeah no definitely like well he was with us you know he that's i'm not wh park sorry chris carlton was with us for like a lot of the trip you know and having someone that knew wrestling mm-hmm. and knew the language was essential you know like we he was it's just such a different kind of culture when it comes to pro wrestling and the way it's handled backstage you know so we were allowed backstage but it wasn't like we were allowed allowed backstage how many hours were you with onita for oh first time we hung out with them was about two hours second time was about three hours and it was awesome first time first time we met him we got to the Corrigan hall we're like because they did a whole episode on onita and there's one you guys are in kind of like this bar um, yeah. And you've got the barbed wire bat yeah. of his that you brought for, you got from Totacon. Yeah, we brought it from And you Totacon. brought it to Ornita. And it's you just in this bar, like this darkly lit bar. And it's just the coolest scene with you. And I imagine there's there's a translator there as yeah. well in the yeah, scene. Yeah, just on the other side of the bar. And yeah, you just get this very rare access to hear from Itsushi Onita talking to a, an English-speaking interviewer. Well, we met him. Like, we, we first showed up. We met him. At, he, we got him to go to see um, an ice ribbon show. <clears throat> That's know? right. So you guys go to that show together. So we're at the ice so ribbon. It's like show. a day with him. Yeah, pretty much. Like, but we're at no because it was two separate times, right? Like he agreed to go to the show with us. Like he's like that's the only thing he was going to sign up for. And so he shows up and he just comes in and he's like, "My man, that's my that's like my Mick Jagger. He's just so cool. Like he comes in, he's got the leather jacket on. He's got like some Supreme hoodie on some crazy old Nikes, some like ridiculous jeans. He looks incredible, right? Like, you know, he's got the presence. He's got that presence. Right. And he walks in. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, And he walks in, he's got this presence where you're just like, he's a rock star, you know? And that's like Onita theater, you know, he was that guy and he still has it. And so he walks in and we start walking up the stairs at Totacon Hall, and he, he stops. He stops at this barbed wire board that's out there for the match that's coming up, and he goes, "Hey, so 
I invented this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I know. I know. Like, I think I don't think he knew that I was a fan at this point. You know, he thought I was just like some journalist who would come over to interview him. And then so we sit down and I just start nerding out on him. I just start like, you know, just talking to him about all this stuff I wanted to know about. And shout out to people like Bahu and the Bahu FMW website, which was the thing that I kind of like got to really study this stuff as a fan, you know, an English speaking fan. And he was putting up a lot of this stuff and like – Dan, those, those, you know, those DVDs, which I know Dan's not proud of the commentary stuff that they made him do for those things, but those DVDs is where I got my first access to a lot of this. I'm stuff. sure a lot of people that was their gateway Definitely. to FMW was or Japanese the, wrestling, even the fact that you, you had, um, you know, the DVD market, the fact if you could get into commercial establishments, mm-hmm. like that's when, you know, if you weren't tape trading like the fact you could walk into an hmv in canada and you could pick up an fmw dvd an xpw dvd mm-hmm. i mean it was you know the access was pretty incredible i mean that to me was kind of mind-blowing as someone that just you know you just wrestling content was so hard to find typically that if you could go into a store and all of a sudden i remember tower records and i was just blown away by some of the stuff they would have there and you know, you never knew when you'd go in, like what kind of stuff they would have. And that's music and zines and stuff like that. Like, it's funny because now everything's at our fingertips at all times, right? But because of that, nothing's at our fingertips. Like, it's just a lost sea of information. But having some sort of like curation, you know, like FMW was a perfect gateway for me for Japanese wrestling because the production value is high. Like, it looks like WCW or WWF at the time um, looked like on TV. The costumes are amazing. Like, Hayabusa looks like. You know, that guy was a star anywhere in the world. Um, and it, it it just like that was like it, even more than like, you know, all Japan pro wrestling, which I think, it, you know, is a lot slower moving. You know, this is just like fast paced. People are being set on fire. People are jumping into barbed wire. And then through that, I got into New Japan and all Japan and all this sort of stuff. But it was this FMW DVDs that was really my gateway. So to then be sitting with him and watching this stuff and he's like just as cool as you could hope you know and just talking about you know he's like i understand there's a show in america with some guy who's stolen my barbed wire bat now and i'm like oh the walking dead and he's like yeah yeah i understand there's a guy who's got like a barbed wire bat on that thing now huh and i'm like yeah i'm like but yours is way cooler like he's got way more barbed wire on it than his does and then so we kind of hit it off and he's like okay well i'll i'll I'll, like i'd love to talk to you guys again longer if we, we can meet up somewhere else and we're like yeah definitely so I'm like, there's a barbed wire baseball bat at Totacon. If I buy it, will you sign it for me? He's like, yeah, sure. And I think thinking there's no way I'm going to go there and buy it that next day because, but it's there, this FMW blood covered baseball bat. And so with the crew, you know, we bought it for the show and then they got him to sign it. And then afterwards the crew's like, here you go, <laughs> get it home. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do? And Jeff and Nathan who, shout out to Jeff and Nathan, two of the greatest filmmakers I've ever met. I've seen work by, but let alone gone to work with. Um, they were like, just get it home. So I put it in my suitcase and brought it through Narita and got it on the plane and flew home with it. See, I've had, I can't imagine trying to get that across the, the, the scanner at the airport because I've had to take that Yeti yes. microphone on that stand. And when that's going through the, uh, like the, like the x-ray deal that they've got there, it looks really weird. And I've had many a time I've had to open up my brief or my suitcase to show them that this is a, a microphone that's in there. But it's I mean, it's got a very phallic look and it's definitely received some jokes over well, the years as I've been going 
across the border with. <laughs> I put it in my check luggage. Like, I knew it was going to go through the x-ray, but my thing was that even if they opened it through customs when I got to the other side and they pull out a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, that's one thing. The fact that it's covered in blood. Like, how do you explain that? <laughs> I had a receipt from Totokan, and I had the, uh, the, the the informational tag about it in Japanese. I'd probably arrest you. I probably would have a lot of questions sure that I you would wouldn't have, have sufficient answers Rightfully for. Rightfully so, John. Have you heard of it? Sushi Onita, go YouTube <laughs> yeah. him. We'll watch the video. We'll watch this video. But he was – yeah, it was that was awesome too. But I think also like getting go uh, – we went to Ogawa's house from stardom, you know, and here's this guy who – What a what an unbelievable like history mm-hmm. that guy would have and it's – it's it's amazing to me how much I have a desire to kind of learn more about this now. And it kind of really stemmed from like the Wally Yamaguchi passing recently that yeah. I was talking about. That yeah. Here's a guy that so many people, it's they're only going to think of Kai and Tai mm-hmm. and choppy choppy your pee pee. And here's someone that was, man, he was so tight with Baba in the 80s. And he was part of the magazine wars. Like imagine the stories that that guy has that – you know, unfortunately, go away when someone like that dies. And, you know, Rossi Ogawa, another that's just, I just don't think like they've, you know, in Japan, I'm certain that they're thought of for more because they've been able to uh, speak in their native language and, and talk more. But for an English speaking audience, I think there's, there's really, to me, a market for that to just be able to hopefully communicate with, with some of these people and get these interesting life stories out there. And Rossi Ogawa is one that, man, could you imagine oh God, sitting book. down with that guy for two or three hours? And he's probably just never been asked. Well, he definitely, like when we went to his house and we're just going through his stuff, like he's very, he was very guarded, you know, like you don't think he ever really truly let us in. And the cl- time that we got in the closest with him was we went to his house, uh, which was, you know, a, a, an apartment that he lived in, but just full of wrestling ephemera. Like, legit masks from everyone like he's a huge lucha fan so he has but everyone's mask like ring worn mask and you're like going through like he's got robes he's got replica titles he's got actual titles he's got just like all this stuff just in his apartment you know like in this closet the shrine and you're like this is a guy who's who's like sold his soul to wrestling you know in a very real way like this is his like this is what he's going to do for this whole life is just you know, run this company, run this wrestling company. And it's like, you know, and I, I think before I went there, you know, I had a totally different impression of what he was going to be like, like maybe like, you know, because stardom has, and I think this was also my, this is my misunderstanding of Japanese wrestling as a Western viewer, you know, was, you know, I looked at stardom and I'm like, Oh, there's like some creepy stuff going on. You know, there's like a lot of young wrestlers and like there's like a lot of dude fans. Like the audience is like 98% dudes mm-hmm. at a stardom show. And so and then you're always like looking like, oh, there's this guy and he's always got like his fedora on in the background. Like, what's this dude's deal? But then you meet him and you're like, no, this was he just loves wrestling. And he looked at women's wrestling as being like, this is my way in, you know, like to build my own company and I can do this. Like, I know how to do this. And so stardom is something he's built and he's really passionate about it. And he, you know, obviously there's stuff in it that I think from a Western take is a little more problematic, but I think at the same time, it's like, it's not him putting that there. It's like him realizing this is what the fans are going to want. And and you go into a lot of, you know, kind of uh, like the controversies that Mm -hmm. stardom has had. I mean, you like the story of, uh, Mayu Iwatani and kind of how she runs away from home. Yeah. I, I don't know how many people are necessarily familiar with that. And you, like you really tapped into something that, 
again, it's just that an English speaking uh, observer uh, would not be aware of because I, I don't know how many English outlets have had that kind of access before. And it's kind of interesting that you talk about sensing that that guardedness from a Rossi Ogawa that I'm certain there is that skepticism of what is the angle here from this reporter or this uh, this outlet. And you got some incredible access and stories from these people. Oh, yeah. No, it was there was some stuff. And that's credit to Jeff and Nathan. And I think credit to like. You know, Yuji, who was a sound guy, Colin, who was, you know, another camera, second camera operator, director of photography that we had. Um, but don't tell you, like, dude, you're a really good interviewer. Like, you put a lot of people, it's it, like watching that series. Like, you are the perfect person for this. You put people at ease to be able to open up like that. Well, that like, that's, that's a rare skill. I think it had to be a fan, you know? Like, I think it, that's the thing that this show needed. Like, at one point, Vice was like, oh, we... We don't want it. We like we want to host it. Maybe we want someone else to host it. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is my idea. I want to host it because you need a fan. Like I think that you need someone that understands wrestling and is not going to be, you know, completely like. So what are you doing in the ring? You know, and is not going to stossel, you know, the situation. Someone who respects the shit out of what's going on there, but also someone that you know isn't trying or isn't inside enough that you're going to get caught up in like people's lives you, you want to be there you want to be respectful and you want to have that fan i think observer distance which i think is was important to have um when making that show because i think that was the thing is like every time we went somewhere you know and we go to these places where they just would be like you know the democratic republic of congo you know kinshasa there has been no one that had filmed wrestling there before and so to go there and to be able to talk once again through an interpreter you know shadow i i you know every experience we had was because of a fixer in, in a lot of these foreign places but to be able to go there and be like ray mysterio jr and they're just like absolutely and you're like one two three kid and they're like yep and you're just like immediately able to kind of converse about pro wrestling, you know, and like the odd tape they had seen or something else from ECW that they have some reference for, you know, and you're just able to communicate through this kind of shared love of pro wrestling that I think you needed to be a fan. Well, that's where, that to me is where you see the kind of like the, the celebrity attached to so many of these people. Like you talk about going to a DDT show and you're just awestruck that you're seeing people that you've watched for years standing at a bar Think about serving someone, you at a DTT show. They serve you the drinks at like, the show. Like, what connection does someone in the Democratic Republic of Congo have to Rey Mysterio? Like, they're they're never going there for no. a tour. They strictly are watching that person as this larger than life figure on a screen, million like hundreds of miles away. If they if they ran there, like if they ran there, it would be the the legit biggest wrestling show ever. Like more than the North Korea show, I think, because it's like that level of understanding of wrestling. Like, I think if anything came international entertainment wise, it would do really well there. But I think the idea of WWE figuring out a way to run a free show there would be like the greatest thing you could do, you know? And especially if you could bring back Booker T MVP and all these wrestlers that are beloved, you know, like I, you'd see them on shirts. People have these wrestling shirts. Everyone knew who wrestlers were. I got out of the van. People would be like, big show, put my hand in front of my face. It'd be like, John Cena, you can't see me. Like everyone knew wrestling. Like it's, it is so important there. Um, and I think the idea of like that happened. Yeah, you're right. It'll never go there. It'll never go there. People there, like people there were telling me about their dream is to go out and one day see like a house show in Europe and just, you can't get a visa to do that. 
And some of these wrestlers are incredible. Like some of these people are working on the worst rings I've ever seen. Like worse yeah. than Mexico, worse than Bolivia, worse, worse rings than I'd seen anywhere. Nunavik had some pretty rough rings too, but this was like the worst one. And these, these, these people can go, you know, and they're entertaining these huge crowds and stuff. And like their dream is to just wrestle outside of the, you know, the democratic Republic of Congo or outside of, you know, in North America to wrestle in America is the dream. And it's like, wow, this is a, a powerful kind of medium, you know, like wrestling is just like, it's just as important as any other art form, you know, of all the, the kind of uh, stories that were pitched and ideas that you guys had for the series. Were there any that fell through or just ultimately didn't work? Um, like what was kind of on the cutting room floor or just a, an idea that just wasn't able to be carried out? There's whole, there's a whole second series worth of episodes that were written for that just never, we haven't been able to kind of go forward on. Uh, there's like a lot of stuff that got cut just because of like, you know, like originally the first episode was supposed to be about Matt Riddle. Like Matt Riddle was going to be the focus and then Jeff and Nathan were kind of like, you know, we talked to everyone and they're like, Matt Riddle's amazing. Uh, but, you know, we think, you know, we kind of want to do this Darby Allen, Austin Theory and Fred Yehi. And, uh, you know, I, w- I was like, sure, like it makes sense. Like, you know, geogra- and it was also it just came to geographics because mm-hmm. we were like, OK, we were going to follow them back down the coast, you know, and that's how that's that'll be the narrative we're going to follow. And it's like, well. Riddle at the time was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's like, well, that's over here. Yeah. So it kind of like would change the story. So we can't really shoot that, you know. Riddle's in the episode, obviously. Um, there's another um, – there's, a, yeah, a whole other thing where we were supposed to – I wanted to do because one of the guys who from the gatekeepers got injured. And that was the end of his wrestling career. And I, we we shot – that we shot an interview with him. I wanted to pursue that and go and do a whole story about that, about injuries in wrestling. But we, you know, it just didn't go there for the show. Um, I, actually, and also we were supposed to go uh, once again, shout out to Cole Cabana for this, but have you ever seen the, heard the Cole Cabana podcast that he does um, with Deuce or Domino? Is it Domino? It's Domino. We're about is wrestling with in the uh, power. Udi. Yeah. Supreme power. Udi. Yeah. This is a, uh... Yeah, quite the insane story. One of the best stories in wrestling. I think you can see it on YouTube, the whole YouTube story about it. But I wanted to go and do something about Udi. I'm like, we should go there. And we we called around, and it was just people were like, it would not. You oh, know, well. Yeah, you think they work some wrestlers. They would just – they would demolish you if you went there. So we decided to go instead. Thanks once again to Sarah, who was a researcher, researched and an amazing – she did an amazing job on this and just found out about – Democratic Republic of Congo and the fact that there's this whole history of witch catch wrestling, which led to the probably the best episode of the ep- the whole series going to the Congo. Have you gotten any updates on the series or is it still still coming still chugging along? You know, like it's still there. There's still like, it's how many episodes in total? Ten. 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 It's all done. It's all finished and and just waiting. It's just to like, come out. I, I hate to keep bringing it up, but I'm <laughs> no, just I, from like I, the last 25 minutes we've been discussing, like it's just scratching the surface of kind of like, it's just, it was just such a cool series and like certain episodes, like, yeah, you're familiar with like a Fred Yehi and Austin theory, but not in this context. Yeah. It's totally different from that. And then there's areas of the world that you just would not even think of. And the ones that you will associate with the names, it's like it's presenting them in such different facets, like Arasio Gawa or uh, Atsushi Onida in, in a bar. Um, 
It's just it's it's just amazing to me that a series like this could actually be financed and pulled off because it's it's not uh, you know this was a significant budget I'm sure that was attached to this. Oh, it's huge. Like, like that's the thing I'll never get. You know I I can't see. Well, maybe, but you know, but I couldn't see someone else being able to to put up the money to do this. You know, because it was definitely like a huge undertaking. Like the travel alone, the most expensive episode was filming in Nunavik. Like going up there right. cost more than going to the Democratic Republic of Congo, more than going to Japan, um, which I guess speaks to how isolated the, a lot of people are in their experience there. I've now. been to Nunavut, and it's yeah. um, it's just – it's unbelievable to realize that this this is part of Canada. Like it's just – it's unlike anywhere that, you know, that you can relate to as someone that's only lived in Toronto, that here is a part of Canada that is just so isolated from – the mainland it's it just and with that comes you know exorbitant prices just for everyday groceries because of the the transportation costs to get food out there and it's just um yeah it's it's just it's a place you would never go unless it was something work related i feel for myself well it's also like the other yeah, people their their way of life has been destroyed too like the environmental conditions have changed right so you can't you couldn't even do traditional forms of sustenance uh, at this point, so you're kind of reduced to yeah, you got to shop for this stuff, and yeah, it's times of the year. It's a, it's an hour of sunlight. Like, it's oh, just yeah. it's a totally different way of living. Oh, and there's also like shorter times now where it's frozen over the lake, so there's less time for stuff to get in. Everything has to be flown in, and it's eighty dollars for a bucket of chicken. Yeah, from KFC that I went to there. Um, it and the only thing though that comes is wrestling. The only thing that shows up in like a lot of these communities we went to. I'm like, has anything ever come through? They're like, yeah, there was like a, um, a Loverboy tribute band that came through about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, Loverboy and then wrestling and the weight connection people well, have. That's what I went for. To like these yeah. two um, – it was like the Blood, Sweat and Years, which was like the Squared Circle guys yeah. that did two shows up there. And it was it was amazing. And one of the biggest pops of either night – was Jimmy Corderas delivering a Stone Cold Stunner onto one of the refer- onto one of the wrestlers, and the place went nuts. Yeah, it was amazing. It was it, it was amazing, and the the thing that worked out like, and there's just so many weird things on this wrestling show. Like you're there, you're experiencing like all these kids that are, are loving these wrestlings, and then I look over and I'm like, isn't that isn't that the dude from Noah? And it's Kaito Kiyomiya from Noah is just on this tour, and we're just like. Wow, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm I'm here on my excursion. So, yeah, this is where I'm going to go. And just, but it's amazing watching him, especially now watching him go back to Noah and kind of work. You know, that's more Noah style. And then watch him where he's like entertaining a bunch of kids, eight year olds, seven year olds, and like doing pratfalls and doing like working like super comical like vaudevillian heel. It's yeah, to me, it's like a great learning experience if you can take yourself like away yeah. from just the average uh, wrestling consumer to a place that you have to change everything up i mm-hmm. mean it's it's invaluable i think that's that's the case for performers if you th- see them go to mexico or just you know just to different places where it forces you to do uh stuff that's very different i mean even a puerto rico i mean you're not going to go do the same match at uh if if you're booked to wrestle at AAW or PWG. It's going to be very different than if you're going to Puerto Rico where it's very much just, it's heat. It's trying to get Mm -hmm. that kind of emotion out of your audience because they're going to be living and dying by your actions in the ring. Well, there's a reason Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, is the 
best wrestler in the world. You know, there's a reason that Cole Cabana right now in New Japan is having some of the best matches. You know, like he just he's just entertaining everyone because there's these guys that have worked everywhere. They've done the carnival stuff in Eng- or not the carnival, the uh, holiday camp stuff in England. Yeah, they've done like stuff up north in Canada. They've done, but they've also done stuff in. Cole Cabana was on that tour. Yeah, that, I remember. I watched your thing about yeah. it. Uh, and they and the hard hitting wrestling. You know, like they've done like you know strong style. They've done lucha stuff. And so these people are people that you can put on TV in front of however many million of people and you give them enough freedom. They're going to find a way to connect with this audience because this is what they've been trained for. Like their whole lives have been built to this. And that's why I think they have so much problems. So so that's why they have so many problems, I think, trying to build these in-house talents that don't have this experience. Like what entertains a group of 60-year-old grandmothers – in in outside Mexico City is going to be completely different than what entertains a group of like wrestling nerds in Florida, and to know how to connect with both those audiences is, is invaluable. I was just um, uh, I was reading a thing about uh, Terry Funk actually recently from from his book, and he talked about cutting a promo on Dusty Rhodes, and he cuts this promo. And he's talking, he's insulting all of the fans in Florida and calling them oily. And he takes this like motor oil and he pours it over his head and then he's throwing dirt on himself. And it's just, it sounds absolutely horrific. And he, it takes him like forever to get all this stuff out. And it was this goofy promo. And I'm certain if it happened today, it would spread everywhere. Like that kind of a promo of a guy dumping oil on himself. And he said that the next week, the the house was down and people weren't into it. And it was a learning lesson for him. And I I don't know if, like, certain situations, like, in the territories, it was, you know, everything was geared upon making sure that we have a full house the next week Mm -hmm. because our pay is directly attached to that. So you learn really quick what works, what doesn't work, and then going from there. Like, what are people responding to? And today like not to generalize everywhere but you know there isn't that necessary like what is the the penalty if um randy orton or aj styles cuts a bad promo on smackdown what what what's the impact it's like you're not living and dying by your live gate it's not contingent on that one person uh and there was a time when you know you were forced to learn from your mistakes instantly if something was not connecting that's what i wanted to bring up to you because i noticed you were talking a lot about that the sale of ufc i think it was on monday right the not the sale the, uh, the espn deal, the pay-per-view sorry. switch, pay-per-view yep. switch. Yep. and and it's almost like you see that happening in pro wrestling and it's this idea where i think what we're seeing in wrestling is where that sort of like the 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 thesis the the idea that you're never going to let anyone get bigger than your company you know you're never gonna have a star that's bigger than your company and that's like what you see happen in boxing you know boxing is almost like an event business you know it's built around having stars and then these super fights that make huge huge money like yep. you know but it's not consistent money in the same way that an espn deal where people just tune into it like it's a sport it's not an event it's a sport you know and you watch the sport constantly and you kind of like consistently want to see who's moving up and down in the ranks and it's not as spectacular because you don't necessarily have those huge stars that you build to that one big event. But at the same time, it's more consistent, you know? Well, now more so than ever that 
you know, the UFC is going to get paid an amount every year, regardless of how these pay-per-views perform. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's still a, an incentive to, do, like, for ESPN, they're putting so much money in. They're going to want the biggest fights possible. Uh, but for the UFC, it's it's no longer, like, the calamity that if someone gets, gets popped for a drug test the week of or a guy gets injured the night before a fight and the main event is off, it's like... All right, it's not ideal. Um, it's not great if you bought a ticket for this, but we're still guaranteed X amount per pay-per-view that we're going to be getting on a yearly basis for the next seven years. So it's great if we get Conor McGregor to fight. Is it absolutely imperative to our bottom line this year that we get him to fight? It's not. Yeah, no one's um, going to hold you up anymore. Uh, the pressure will come from ESPN, but at the same time, ESPN signed a deal now. It's yeah. not as though they can pull that off the table. It's it's a seven-year relationship. Um, and I think this is a phenomenal deal for the UFC that it's it's it follows where the WWE it's it's no longer contingent on you know the star gets hurt and suddenly man our house show business is down and we can't draw on pay per view it's it's guaranteed money it it allows you a lot of free reign to do whatever you want and you don't necessarily have those consequences if Becky Lynch is not a red hot babyface a month from now it's like okay. It's it's not the end of the world. Yeah, we don't care. It's it's not as though it's everything is on our house shows or you know you want yep. your television numbers to be strong. But these are locked in deals through 2024. It's all this is like it's like a sport then, right? Like it's not an event anymore because it's like you know when LeBron James is injured, people still go to the Lakers game. It sucks. People want to see him play, but they're not going to not go. And it's like that same with wrestling now. It's like you don't want to have these superstars that can hold your business up you want to just have consistent stars and you want to have people that kind of keep just the status quo yeah and it's and if you come across that that transformative star great Uh, like that will increase your business if you can go from doing five thousand at a house show to eight thousand that's great yeah Uh, but it's it's no longer that this is the absolute utmost importance to our business to be able to find that next steve austin but i keep wondering like why they never get behind or hitch their wagon to someone who gets hot, you know, like whenever they seem to have someone that kind of gets, and maybe it's because they're own in their own bubble too much, but whenever they have someone that kind of gets out and spills into the greater zeitgeist of pop culture, I'm always like, why aren't they just getting behind this? Why aren't they leaning into this more? But it's almost like it doesn't benefit them to lean into it. Yeah. I I don't, I don't think Becky Lynch has reached that kind of, you know, has become that kind of figure outside of wrestling, but I do feel that they they did the heel turn, and I think they were pretty quick after that to realize what was what they had. Yeah, and they've gone pretty strong with it. So I think that that's um, at least an example of them seeing someone hot and and not creating all these obstacles for themselves. Because well, I don't think that's organic. Like I think the Becky Lynch thing is them kind of like you know it was organic. The fans kind of, but it's still like you know very playful. You know, but I think like when the CM Punk thing happened. They didn't lean into that, and that was real. Like that felt like really organic, and people, people believed. People were were invested in it, and I think they could have leaned into that a lot harder, and leaned into CM Punk as a star a lot harder. But they well, he chose not to. But I mean, that was a really awesome match where he lost to Triple H. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. Right after, <laughs> it was so awesome. I still, oh, why why they handled the booking that way is just like that's the. That that that's when I also I think I got more invested in finding independent wrestling because it was like it's never going to make sense here. I I think my just the moment that I was just kind of I, I can't be 
I just can't understand it was Brock Lesnar's first match back and they yeah. have John Cena beat him. I was like, you have just put so much into this guy. He has come back. He is fresh off this incredible MMA run beat where he became a megastar and was like, well, we've got to put our stamp on our guy first. No one's in the above first company. match. It's like, do you want John Cena to beat Brock Lesnar? Great. That should happen after a year of this guy tearing through everybody. And after that one, I was like, whatever. It's it is what it is. I kind of feel like with AEW, it's going to be interesting to see because I really do think the presentation of the product. Oh, and by the way, hello from your friend Bob Mould. Oh, Bob! I remember I was talking to him the other day, and I was talking about how when you interviewed him that time, he brought up CM Punk that you bring up, and he, so we're we're going on that. So he says hello, but he was talking about how AEW. He's like, you know, is the presentation going to be that much different than WWE? But what it, it and it probably won't be right. Like you know, and I think you watch Being the Elite. You know, those look like vignettes that you might see on WWE, like, but they make sense. And instead of, like, for some reason opposing all the fans' wishes, they lean into all the fans' wishes. And I think that'll be the difference between AEW and WWE. It's going to be interesting to see a company that tries to go with the zeitgeist, go with the algorithm, as opposed to a company that, you know, must be ignoring its metrics or must be looking at completely different metrics than any of us see online. What's... What has you right now in professional wrestling? What, like, what's kind of driving your interest at the moment that kind of has kind of top of mind for you? Uh, Post-wrestling. Oh, of um, course, without saying. Uh, I think Evolve stuff, seeing what Gabe's doing with Evolve, I think, like, it's interesting to kind of see how Evolve's transitioning to becoming, like, effectively a double A to NXT's triple A. Um, but, you know, and but I, I think he's always, like, a really smart booker who he always gets good talent in there. Uh, AEW, seeing what they're going to do, I think is really fascinating. Seeing what all these American companies are going to do. Uh, but, like, I got to go with Eddie Kingston. Whenever I see something he does, whenever I see him cut a promo, I watch. David Starr, whenever he does a promo, um, I, I watch. Um, Did you watch the Sinclair promo? I watched the Sinclair promo. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was – and I understand why Sinclair <laughs> don't want to take it down. <laughs> but I think for him, like that's um, like I think David Starr is just a phenomenal promo. A phenomenal. Like, just promo. getting away from like the politics of it all, but it's like that to me is like that is the stuff that resonates with people is when you mix in real when if, it, when it's you feel that you're pushing a real button, yeah. and it's not a pro wrestling promo. Yeah, I think Zack Saber Junior. too. Like when I'm um, watching him in the ring, completely different kind of vibe than. But I think people like that in the ring, I think, are, are really exciting me. It's funny, we, David Starr, I was watched for uh, trying to find some images, the uh, CZW documentary that we did on the Terminal of Death. And David Starr's in the very beginning. Um, him and Connor Claxton are, like, playing with baseball bats, hitting each other with far prior <laughs> baseball bats in the very beginning. And it's uh, it's amazing to watch how these people have now gone from being – you know, trainees at that point or just post trainees to becoming people that are some of the greatest people in this industry. But then I also got to give it up to, well, Joey Janela, obviously, but GCW's franchise got to give, give it up to. <laughs> Boy, have I come around on him. Like you <laughs> called me wrestler of the year yeah. at the end of 2017. Nick Gage. I, I think Nick Gage is one of the most unique personalities in the entire industry. And I think that it's. You, you need to have a Nick Gage kind of character. I think he's just, he's perfect yep. for that company. And like, I just, I really had a, when I think of WrestleMania weekend last year, like he is one of the instant 
per- people I think of. And just he got over on every single show he was on mm-hmm. and everyone just loved him. And he's also like, you know, like he's a guy who is entertaining to watch. He's a guy who's entertaining to kind of see behind the scenes. He's obviously beloved in wrestling because he works with everyone, you know, like the the best wrestlers. He's wrestled them all, you know, and it's but he's also a guy who, you know, Game Changer was able to kind of build itself around. And, you know, and then Joey Janelle obviously has added a whole new dimension to it. And now it's kind of found its other whole other set of legs. But I think that's I I, I love I love that dude. And I think he actively hates me. Janella? No, no, no. Uh, um, uh, Nick Gage. Oh, okay. Wow. Why does he hate you? Uh, he, I don't know. I remember him saying fuck Vice when we were backstage filming and the CZW Cage of Death. I'm sure that's not uh, specific to you. Well, I know. I, I'm not a contracted person there anymore, so, you know, it's fine by me. You know, murder wow. gang. Just Maybe the Nick Gage could have been featured on season two if there was one. I wanted to. Nick Gage was actually the original... Um, the original uh, Tournament of Death thing I really wanted to do about Nick Gage coming in and wrestling his first Tournament of Death um, after being in prison. But it just didn't work out, unfortunately, that year. It took me a long time to convince Vice to let me to do that one. Watching your video on Tournament of Death was life-changing for myself. The, the fact that I got through that was something else. Well, John, and I, I know we've talked forever, but we got to talk about the fact that you've, you've broken the timeline. You've bridged two worlds with your, uh, with your anti-flag... Uh, <laughs> we can end on this anti-flag. I, I guess I upset. Uh, you upset the timeline. I, mean, I can't believe these two worlds are crashing into each other. Wow. I, I, I have uh, trespassed into your world and I was told, please leave. <laughs> <laughs> I think Damien was very polite by text. Pretty much. Uh, don't make me look bad. In front no, of no. I love Chris number two. I love Chris number two. Uh, listen, I, I, I think uh, people might get the wrong impression. It was such an off-the-cuff line. Uh, <laughs> literally, all I've heard of Anti-Flag was arriving in, in the parking lot at Molson Park and hearing what I just thought was overmodulation, but it was them playing. Well, that's and, on their fault, too, right? Because, like... Oh, dude, dude, I didn't even... I don't even think I made it into the park while they were still doing their set. So I am hardly... Who were they opening for? They were on first before Jimmy Eat World and before Green Day. Oh, okay. It was that tour. Yeah. So this was like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I hardly have a solid opinion of a brutal, A brutal slot for a poor band to have opening of one of three in a band shell. And we were probably playing at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon as we were parking yeah, their cars. It would have been early. But yeah. they, are, they are Eric Young's favorite band. Are they? Yep. Huh. That's, that's why they're connected to NXT. And that's... Uh, that brings them also connected to uh, Brook- Brookside. So they are part of the punk wrestling connection, which we've already established you, too, are a part of by CM Punk's connection Wait, I, I, I've never heard any of your shows. Do you believe there's a connection between wrestling and punk? I think there might be a little bit of one, John. Hey, at what point during that interview with Jake, like when you started the wrestling chat, how many how, how many minutes into that did you feel you lost him? Pretty quickly into it. I thought it was within 30 seconds, and, and he certainly... Um, just let you keep going. He was very polite. He was very, very polite. I wanted by the end of it. I wanted to hear you doing a show with his his bandmate. I want. I'm going to try and do one because I really want to. I want to cut that section. I was like, I'm going to cut this whole thing. No. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm, I don't cut anything out. I cut. There's some stuff I cut. Out. I always think I. I never want to be the judge of what's good or bad. It's you know if if it's something where it's just off the rails. Yeah, it's not going to be uh like uh, more so. I will cut out something if like. A connection is bad, for yeah. instance. But you know, if it's just like uh, content-wise, it's like 
someone may love this, and I, I don't ever want to uh, decide what's what's good or bad. I 100% leave that stuff in. There's a couple times on my podcast where people have said things that may or may not jeopardize their and my safety if other people heard it. Oh, dear. So I've cut that out. I've cut. There's been a couple times where I've, I've felt, you know what, I need to keep the edit. Of this thing, I'm not going to hand this over to someone else. And uh, yeah, there's a, a couple of things that get wound, wind up on the cutting room floor. And unfortunately, this time, wrestling talk was not one of them. Well, turned out a punk. Where can people go listen and, and hear this great interview that could, I've been uh, talking about? All I listened to a lot of Damien Abraham over the past week. Oh, I appreciate that, John. You know, you the one you got to listen to is episode 101. The Robbie Brookside, Zach Blair from from John Pollock's favorite band, second favorite band after Aqua. Rise Against, and the Punk Rock Connection. I like to think in Florida, Robbie Brookside goes around town talking about, I know Damien Abraham. (laughs) I don't say I know him. I just bring him up because I think he's like a very, in fact, I I bring him up this week on the Turn Out of Punk Super Show as being the ultimate vehicle to discuss the history of punk rock. Who's going to disagree with you? (laughs) Unfortunately. Not Robbie Brookside. (laughs) No, not Brookside. And uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I should say, none of the listeners can... uh, right in while i'm recording so so turned out a punk at left for damien and everyone write to your local vice official yeah write to vice let them know we want to see damien abraham's defining wrestling series make it onto the air i i hit my head once and i could have sworn i saw it on television in canada i must be mistaken it's never aired but it needs to air people need to see it and if not if there's anyone listening to this inside of vice Maybe somehow these episodes can just populate somewhere. Maybe I just want the world to see them. I, and it's like amazing. Uh, if Wei Ting wasn't there to vouch for me being there with camera crews filming, then I would say that maybe you just did bump your head and it didn't actually happen because I too can't believe. Other people have corroborated I my know. theory that they have aired, but I, I can't. I, I don't know. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, how is this not fucking aired? So you have no connection to Vice any longer. Is that true? Not really. Like I still obviously have friends that work there, some friends that work there, but no, but no professional yourself. connection. No, not at this point. Like, um, and that's not through any sort of malice or anything. It just it didn't work after the wrestling show. That was kind of the end of my contract. So uh, here I was thinking the wrestling show would come out and then we would have handled it from there, but I was still waiting for this thing to come out. It's going to happen, Daniel. I, I hope so. I believe so. I've, every day I rewatch the episodes, luckily PVR'd. That I have. And oh, boy. PBR. That would mean they have been on a television <laughs> station somewhere in Canada. Uh, I, meant, I meant my uh, hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> Damien, thank you so much for coming here. Post Office West, uh, I was excited to chat with you all week. John, you are my Beatles, so I'm very happy to be here anytime the bat signal goes out. The post-wrestling sign goes out. Well, you know what? You're, you'll always be the Renee to my Klaus. Renee actually, though, was like a Renee Paquette, right? Like she was actually like uh, affiliated with the with this podcast family way back when, too, right? No. Um, she, she was uh, with the score. And I was talking oh. about Renee from Aqua, but nonetheless. Oh. <laughs> and, 
I was Klaus. <laughs> oh, Klaus from Aqua. John, I like, I still, my dream podcast, and I think we, sh- we should do Patreon exclusive podcasts that we can share on our own. Oh, feed. yeah. Plug that at the end. It's not ready yet. Not ready yet. It's, it's almost- coming. It's coming. I'm going to do a Patreon real soon, but I want to do a Patreon exclusive podcast that we can share on both Done. our podcasts where I play you a song a week and you play me a song a week, and we have to debate with each other oh, that'd the be merits fun. of the song. I, I think it'd be that. great. Like a book club, but for songs. But with songs. And I think it'd be great because I cannot think of another person that I have more similar tastes in one aspect and completely divergent views on another. Well, I want you I want I want to learn from you. I want to learn from you in the wrestling. I've learned so much from you from the wrestling thing, so I want to uh I want to learn from you. Sign me up. I'd love to do it. It'd be a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear the deep cuts on that aqua record. (laughs) With that we will bid everyone a, a fond farewell. We will be back on Friday, at least I will, because Waiting is stopping in all the way from Hawaii for Ask Away for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. In the meantime, go to postwrestling.com, contact Vice, and go subscribe to Turned Out a Punk and go listen to Prozac. Episode 101, <laughs> episode 200, featuring myself and Waiting. Yes. And, uh, and Jake from Health. Jake from Health is definitely one to check Dusik out. Dusik or Dusik. We will uh, Force, forcefully try to convert someone to be in a pro wrestling fan. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening.